Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are, we're going to talk comics. We're going to talk Springsteen. We're going to talk a little bit of everything. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jesse. It's uh, fun to be here, man. I love talking about music. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. I So first off, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and had three brothers, and grew up pretty much three or four things I did was read comics, listen to music, uh, and I wound up going to the High School of Art and Design in New York City, where I took uh, illustration and uh, cartooning. And then for 10 years after that, I, I, well, I, I went to college for two years and took art direction, and then I became a, a, a photo retoucher slash art director, eventually owner of a business. In New York, we did advertising. I did. I worked for uh, a couple of my clients were like Mal, uh, were like Pepsi Cola and Maybelline and Malpaso, which was Clint Eastwood's company. Yeah. Worked on a bunch of movie posters with Bill Gold. And then in the early '90s, started making comic books for Marvel Comics. I worked on just about every title you can think of. I, honestly, I probably inked everything from X Men to Wolverine to Punisher to everything. And then in around in the, in the mid '90s, I started publishing with a buddy of mine, Joe Casada. We started a company called Event Comics, and we did a character called Ash, which was a fireman superhero. We did Painkiller Jane, which was like a, a New York cop. We eventually became a TV series on Sci-Fi, and then and we did that for a couple of years. And then Marvel Comics was in Chapter Eleven at one point, and they were desperate to try anything. And of course. Part of any trying anything was to hire me and Joe Casada <laughs> to, to move into the penthouse of 287 Park Avenue with Marvel Comics. And we ran a line of books featuring, we put together a line of books ourselves featuring Black Panther, The Inhumans, and Punisher. And we had some favors owed to us by a buddy in New Jersey named Kevin Smith who made some movies. Yeah. And we helped Kevin and now he had to help us. So he wrote Daredevil with us and... Eventually, they came out of Chapter 11, and, and that's when I my cue to get out of there and start doing some other stuff. And Joe stayed there and became editor-in-chief. Disney bought them right after. And then 
since then, I've been writing. So I've been writing a lot of books over the years and had a long run on a character called Jonah Hex, which was a Western. I have nothing to do with that crappy movie, so don't blame me. Okay. And although I liked everyone in it, the movie itself was bad. And, and then my wife and I took over a character that was featured in the animation, animated part of Batman, which was Harley Quinn. And when we took it over, we were told it probably won't last more than six or eight issues. So have fun. So the first thing we did is we made her break up with the Joker. And then Amanda changed her costume. And then we moved her out of Gotham. And for some reason, this hit all the right notes with people. And within a year, we were like the number one comic book in the United States, the number one Halloween costume. They were making a movie, Suicide Squad. And it was craziness. We never expected to blow up, but we did that for at least five years. And then since then, we've been working on a, a lot of the, I have a company called Paper Films, and my wife and I do books for ourselves where we own it. And we have a, a website, paperfilms.com, which has all our creator-owned books. And we still do stuff for Marvel and DC. This past week, we, had, we were in Los Angeles for the premiere of Echo on Disney, which I helped Joe and, and David Mack bring to the small screen, the comic book page, but they made a TV show out of it, Disney, so they flew us out there for the premiere. That was fun. And yeah, so it's a, it's been a good roller coaster ride of making a lot of comics, making a lot of friends and getting the chance to do a lot of things. Cause I've also written for TV. I've written for yeah. film. I've done video. I've written video games. The only thing I haven't done is I'm not musically, <laughs> I can't play an instrument, but I'm the perfect person. Cause I love music. I can not only, I not only love it, I absorb it. I own a ton of it. And I appreciate it like no other, but I think Wait. that is probably why I love music so much is I can't do a damn thing with it. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, Jimmy, is there's a lot to talk there and I'm going to touch it. We are going to get to music in a minute, but okay. I'm thinking you haven't written, you need to write a Springsteen video, right? Let's do a music video, Bruce. I've got some skins in the game on the wall. Yeah, I, I would love it. I, the funny thing with him is he's like a guy that you, unlike a lot of, recording artists I, something about just watching him play and sing is like enough i think there's a certain amount of stars that have that charisma that they don't really need the gigantic production and i also think because music is to be interpreted it's like it's poetry right yeah so everyone interprets it a little differently and i think sometimes putting images to the videos is saying this is what it means yeah and I think it limits the poetry of the music because everyone takes different things from different songs and different music. So I'm not a million. I, look, Madonna made a whole career of making wild videos, right? Absolutely, yes. And But her music was never really too much about the story that was being told. Where Bruce, yeah. it was like this hopeful melancholy. Yeah. That, well, that, that you hate to put a picture to it. And if you did... It would be like his album comes where you just see like a road and a quiet road. It, I think a, a lot of that, the imagery is to me is it's like time to think, time to slow down yeah, and think. But anyway, I still would love to do it. I'd love the challenge yeah. of it. Yeah. A few months ago, I got a bunch of people who had, are published writers to join me and we discussed what was Bruce's best written song, not his <laughs> best song. And uh, and we had just a whole bunch of, including your fellow comic book writer, Keith DeCandio. Yeah, yeah. And, and we talked about that his songs are so cinematic. 
Like whether right. you like Highway Patrolman, Sean Penn sure. made a movie based on it. The River is there's a mini film there. So absolutely. Yeah. So I did want to ask, by the way, um, nowhere close to the success you had, but you made me smile when you mentioned your the powers that be said you may get six episodes of <laughs> yeah. you know Harley Quinn. Right. Uh, when I started this podcast. The guy who was running our network was very supportive. He said, go for it. And when he hung up the phone, he told his wife, we're going to do a Bruce Springsteen podcast. I think we'll get a season out of it. There I think go. we'll get 13 episodes. And I've hit a grand. Yeah. So, wow. Wow. And, and That's I think, crazy. Yeah. I know you guys are humble people, but you have to feel proud that you've helped reemerge that Holly Quinn character. I, I do, and I look, I've been invited to the set of the movies. I, yeah. We've met we've met Margot Robbie three or four times and have really good conversations with her. She's an ama- she's as amazing as you think she would be. Oh, that's she nice is that to amazing yes. in real life, right? That's great um, to hear. But the coolest thing, especially the first couple of years of Harley, we started to notice when Amanda and I would do, co- do conventions, we started to notice like mothers and daughters coming up to get the book signed. And the range of daughters, maybe from age 10 to 25, and then the older mom, right? And they were talking about, oh, in this book, when he left the Joker, when she she got in an abusive relationship, my daughter had that same thing. The book really helped her through it, blah, blah, blah. Like, all of a sudden, the stuff we were writing, we were just writing what we felt the character would be going through, right? We said, okay, I'm Harley. I, I want to get this character out of Gotham because she's always like a secondary character in the Batman universe, right? So, so the first thing we wanted to do is get her out. And we figured Coney Island, Brooklyn. I know Coney Island. I know Brooklyn. Also, a girl dressed like that would just blend in. So that was the <laughs> perfect thing. But we started noticing that a lot of people, a lot of women were buying the comic, which is an unusual thing to begin with on some level. And then they were like relating to the character. And not that we ever changed the way we wrote it after that. We had her voice, right? We wrote over a hundred and something episodes and never did we have a lack of story. We always had a lack of pages. We're like, oh, I wish I had 10 more pages. But we noticed it's it hit a certain group that I'd never seen at a comic convention. And now it's a common group because they're at comic conventions. But we realized that all of a sudden we're getting women buying these books and mothers and daughters, they, they were telling us, yeah, we read it together and we talk about some of the stuff she says because the way she's dealing with stuff. And I'm, and I realized that's me and Amanda because we process what we, what we go through. And we, Amanda and I have both been in therapy, very proudly been in therapy. And yeah. part of a therapy exercise is to take a song and break down the lyrics. Yes. And see how it applies to your own life. And Bruce has come in handy a couple of times for that. But I, it, it was just an interesting thing. And I think that's when I felt like we put on Amanda's idea, which was brilliant, was Har- no woman wears one outfit. So Harley would have a different outfit for every thing that was going on in her life. And all of a sudden, we created like this storm of cosplay ideas of Harley. Yeah. And it's none of that was on. We didn't say we're going to do this so we can get pop. We were just writing. We just got into the head of the character and said, okay, this is how she would act. This is how she would think. And we got, we caught lightning in, in a bottle. We were the right guys at the right time. And in a career that even have that happen once is a big deal, but it's happened a couple of times for us. I got to think that thinking for me, and, and again, my my 
my downtime, my thinking time is always with music, right? Now, when I'm writing, I can't put music with the singing words because I, yeah. all of a sudden I start writing the lyrics, but I listen to music. And uh, yeah, so it, it's just, I just wanted to point that out. It was like, it was an odd thing to see. We, we opened up a new audience that's now a part of the regular audience now. It's been like almost, it'll be 10 years soon or nine years soon. Yeah. And it, everything changed pretty quick. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. And one of the things, I was reading a book on the Mamas and the Papas, and yeah. the book talked about John Phillips was passionately wanting commercial success. Right. That was his drive. And then when I've read Bruce Springsteen, I've read Bruce's biographies, other biographies, like Brian Wilson, like they just wanted to make the music. And I think... It is easy to say, but if when people ask me, what do you recommend for podcasts? First off, make sure you're doing a topic that you will enjoy doing, even if no one listens. Right. If it's just Absolutely. you and your guest and you're having fun, yeah, go for it. And so it sounds like you and Amanda, I'm going to tell the story I think the character needs shared, but it's the story I would have wanted to read. And listen, as a writer and anybody, performer. You always write what you want to read. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you write it? I, the reason I've never been the super mainstream guy is because they would give me X-Men or they would give me Batman, and you had to write it a certain way. You couldn't do things. And I always felt, give me the underdog characters because nobody cares. So nobody's watching me as so they I do can this. have and, fun. Yeah, and, and it's funny because Dan DeDio was the editor-in-chief at the time. And Dan was the guy. I said, Dan, I want to change something. And he's, go for it, man. Do what you guys do. That's what he said. Do what you and Amanda do. Just do what you do. And when it started doing really well, I said, are you reading them? He goes, I I'm a little backtracked, but I don't want to read them so much because I don't want to start coming after you for things. He goes, I just <laughs> want you to do, do what you're doing. Do what you do. He says, just, just write it how you see it, and then I'll have the editor tell you you've gone too far, which every issue they would say, that's a little too old for the audience or whatever. But 
also the two things. So the two things is you write what you enjoy and you always push the envelope. You always try to take it further. And that's what the editors are for. I don't have that with my own books because I don't have, I don't edit my own books. I just right. write them. But to take a character like that and Power Girl was another one. We did that too. And when I wrote The Punisher, I worked with Garth Ennis and yeah. wrote it a certain way. All the Marvel Knights books, we made more mature and more grounded and less superhero fight and lightning hands, I call it. Yeah. Because um, we were looking for a, a believable world. We were trying to create a world where, okay, it's Harley doesn't have any superpowers, right? She really doesn't. She's just a, a she's very, she's got skills like Jack yeah. Reacher skills. Yeah. But, but she's a little, she's unpredictable. And that unpredictable is one part of her power, meaning you don't know what she's going to do. And it's like anything in life when it, you're driving and you don't know where you are, you tend to take different roads and it's not, and then you explore and discover. And she's an explore and discover character. So yeah. I think when we got a hundred issues in, I think people told me you really don't have super villains or fights in these books. It's not a normal comic. And I said, no, it's the day in the life of Harley Quinn for yeah. issue after issue. We just make it interesting because she's an interesting person. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to switch to music. Okay. Though loving this talk, you mentioned growing up there. Yeah. And what kind of music did your family listen to? Was there a lot of music as you were a kid growing up? Yeah. So my my mom, of course, always had music on, and of course, it was for her generation, 40s and 50s and early yeah. 60s music. Now I had a brother Victor. I have a brother Victor who's 10, 11 years older than me. And in his room, he had the Jefferson Airplane posters and he had Hendrix. He even went to Woodstock, although he didn't get all the way in. But he <laughs> went to Woodstock. He still has a ticket. So my all brother right. would be, my brother, Victor, would be playing 60s music. Basically, yeah, Beatles, all that kind of stuff. And then my brother, Tony, who's a couple of years older than me. Now, you got to remember, when Springsteen's first album came out, that was 73, right? That was right. A, a great part. So I was 12 years old at that sure. time. Okay, my brother was 15. And my brother, by the time he was 17, was working in a recording studio in Brooklyn. Okay. And so he constantly would be playing music and he'd say, hey, you see this album? This is 10CC. These are guys that studio musicians got together. Hey, this is this album. That's that album. So there was constantly music being played. I, I remember... And it's, it's not really a Springsteen thing, but I remember my yeah. first album I bought was Carly Simon's first album, No Secrets, because I just loved her voice. And I was like, you know, sure. and I remember when I was in the ninth grade of high school, they had on Thursdays, they had an hour where you could do whatever you want. The, the library, you can go out and eat, whatever. And I used to go up to, to the library and they had headphones and albums. And they had Asbury Park up there, which I listened to. They had... Also, they had Paul Simon, the the Ryman Simon, that that yeah. album. I remember I had three or four albums that I would put on Beach Boys album too. They had a Beach Boys, and I would put on it and I would just sit there for the whole hour and listen through the headphones, because again, my home I had we had it was four boys, my mom and dad, and our place was small, so there was no. Yeah. So I grew up around music. To me, was like just part of my life. I just loved it. And and then once I started buying albums and forty fives and all that stuff, then came the space requirements of my house, where it was like I my brother had his record collection, my two brothers had their record collection, and I had mine. And oh my god, I just got this Elton John thing, and my brothers here listen to this. So we shared the music. It wasn't like greedy kind of stuff. Yeah. And he was always opening my ears up to stuff, or he'd play something. 
upstairs and I'd hear it and come up and say, what is that? What, who is yeah. that? And of course, Springsteen was there because both my brothers loved Springsteen. And they all felt a guy from New Jersey. Look at him. He's kicking ass. He's got all these records. And sure. I think Wild and Innocent was after the next one after, right? Yeah. And Great. so these were yeah. heavy rotation. These were heavy yeah. rotation. And the difference now, because back then they had the sleeve with all the writing on it. Yeah. And I was a kid that liked to read. Okay. I would sit there and the album played and I'd read the words and I'd read them and I'd read them and... Yeah, that's where I said he's like a hopeful, melancholy kind of guy because yeah. the music sounded like the your soul. And and then, but there's hope. There's always hope in his stuff. There's always something, fighting something or sure. moving forward. And so it's always been around my whole life. And when my brother got the recording studio, I used to go up to, and they used to, they had a lot of different bands playing there, Anthrax, all these different metal bands yeah. and stuff. But he used to put on, in between, he used to put on records like The River was one of them that would be played there. Yeah. So it was always around me. It was the music was always around me. And it was a magic thing because I could draw, I could write, I can't play an instrument. I grew up poor. So the idea of learning to play an instrument was not in my realm. I used to say people say I take piano lessons. I'm like, ooh, and my dad'd be like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I like and I and I think it's anyone who can't who is not musically inclined dreams. We all sound great in the shower, I always say. We all sound great, but but I've fell in love. And again, this is really fun because in 1980 and 81, I worked in a, a record store in Brooklyn called The Wiz. Okay. And The Wiz was like, there was like three or four record stores in Brooklyn. There was The Wiz, Sam Goody's, mm -hmm. Crazy Eddie's, which was on King's Highway. I remember Crazy Eddie's. And then my local record store was Zigzag Records. And it was like, it was a punk rock, new wave, rock and roll record store heavy metal okay. record store like it was one of those things where i walked in and the guy knew me so he would say hey you want to check out these five things i put them aside for you the greatest thing in the world for me because i used to shovel snow to make money and go buy records right but i worked in the whiz from 80 and 81 i think it was eight, yeah it was 80 and 81 and i think the river was the album there was a double album the river was out and I worked in the Wiz on Fulton Street in downtown Brooklyn, which was basically a black neighborhood. So the main music playing there was R&B. I knew every every kind of R&B star because I had the, I worked on the record there. You, I was the guy you came up and said, "Hey, do you have Ray Goodman and Brown's new album? Do yeah. you have Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway?" That was another big one. And we also had The River, right? Yeah. And the DJ would play that at the end of the day. You play it the other because it had it had poppy type stuff in it. It sure also it does. really dark yeah. stuff. And it was end of day music. And I can't tell you how many people came in and just that album was out for a long time. Yeah. It was a really long time. That was constantly there were two records that were out of the RB that were constantly in stock. It was that and Aerosmith, because they had that walk this way song. Yeah. And guys would come in and say, You what's that song? That song with the the high dude with the kitty yeah. and I'd be like. I said, that's Aerosmith. And they're like, yeah, give me that record. And so, again, it's like I got to work in a record store, which was cool. That had a DJ, by the way, up in the top there. And this is, that 19... is so awesome. Yeah, it was like 1980 and 1981. Because the guy that ran the place said, I was going to college like 10 blocks away. Yeah. I went and looked for a job. And he said, when can, how many hours can you work? And I said, honestly, I got classes. Here's my schedule so I can get to here a half hour later. 
and I can work till you close. And he said, we'll work around your schedule. And he gave me whatever hours I wanted. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. I was the only white kid in the whole record store, which is pretty funny. It was a record and then on the second floor, records and cassettes. Yeah. And then the first floor was audio equipment. So it was stereos and speakers and TVs yeah. and stuff like that. So music was never that far away. And then I was a child of the 80s. Right. right? So I was into Devo and B-52s and Blondie. And we'd go to CB's all the time. And we'd go to, to all the Petment Lounge. We'd go to all these places in New York to see live music. Now, I'm going to break your heart because I've never seen Bruce Springsteen live. Just it's never worked out? So a couple of things. One, it's every time he did play, it was in a big place. Right. And it was in New Jersey. And by the time the tickets, you don't understand. You, those tickets would go on sale and sell out in five minutes. Yeah. I remember being shut out of so many tickets because I just, the, you, and you, we know now that a lot of guys were buying like the whole sections sure. and, yeah. and, and reselling them. But he's also one of those guys, like I said, it was, it, I'm a funny guy about live music. I like it okay. But I sometimes I go to live music and people are singing around me and I can't hear. Sure. They, it, yeah. it drives me insane. Gotcha. And I was so used to going to like clubs like CBs and all these kind of yeah, clubs. Yeah, these small clubs, intimate clubs. Small. Yeah. I, used to see, I used to see Blondie and all these bands playing. Yeah. The Clash, they played. In, you, I'd walk in and get a beer and sit there and listen yeah. to Blondie play. And it was like a different world, right? Before All before they blew yeah. up. Yeah, I was. I I think you probably know I was a big Blondie fan because I wrote that Blondie book for Z two. Yeah. And Chris Stein was all actually he's he was the guy he grew up. We grew up in the same neighborhood. Yeah. So when I wrote that book, it was like talking to some guy that was down the street. He's like, oh, you remember the Midwood Theater? I'm like, oh my god, I, I yeah. haven't thought about that in thirty years. But so, any, anyway, so yeah, that was so the eighties were. That was your time. Of course, we got a lot of we got a lot of Bruce became the, and just so I I tell you, I was an MTV kid. Sure. And, and with all the wild bands playing, boom, there's Bruce. Yeah. And like, you, like we talked a few minutes ago about music videos. In his first, Atlantic City, he doesn't even show his face. Yeah, he doesn't show his face at all. And yeah, great, I, great video, though. Yeah, you know? I, I wanted to circle back just for a moment, the sure. connection. 1982, 1983, yeah. uh, you would probably know because you're maybe more of a historian than I am, but the we did not have an independent comic store in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Right. You just had to go to the spinner rack and look yeah, for your comics, right? That's yeah, all you yeah. got. Candy store. Yeah. And Chester, who looks just like the comic book guy on Simpsons, yeah. he owned Bookworms Apple. It was okay. the record store, the head shop. Nice. And he was driving to Beaumont, Texas, every week to buy his comics. And he said, might as well sell them at me. That way it'll save me a trip. So all of a sudden, I had first comics. John uh, Sable. Yeah. You know, yeah. what? Oh, this is, I've never Mike seen Ralph. Mage. Mage, what is this? Wagner. You know? yeah. yeah. But the reason I brought it up is he said comics gave him so much satisfaction because if you walk in and he said, hey, Jimmy, here's a good album you should try. Oh, no. Yeah. He said, but you say that to a comic guy, almost 100% there. Yeah, sure. I'll buy it. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and he Absolutely. said, and that was 
And so I thought of your guy telling you, you want these albums, you're going, yes. But that brings that connection to me because I was willing to try anything. Oh, my and yeah. It, and the 80s was so experimental. Let's be honest. Every week there was, uh, who's this guy, Adam Ant? What the hell's that about? Yeah. Like every uh, There was so much stuff going on. And you had, and you had also on another level, you had band, like studio bands like Alan Parsons and yeah, all, all that Floyd was coming out with stuff. All, all there was so much excitement with music. It might have been my age, but I really feel like the '80s for me were like comic books and music were like insane. They were trying anything. Yeah, and and again, getting back to the videos, all of a sudden Springsteen is on MTV, right? Yeah, he's like all the rock guys. There's not that many. There's Madonna, this and that. But there's Bruce Springsteen kicking ass on on yeah. and holding on to his audience in the 80s. With Nebraska, and then I think Tunnel of Love and Human yeah. Touch. He had a lot of hits that were videos. And a lot of most yeah. of them were him singing, right? Which the famous one, of course, born in the USA. I think that was like in the later, yeah. later 80s. But yeah. Tunnel of um, Love, I think, was one, right? Tunnel of Love yeah, was the, sure. the, so, the uh, yeah. So um, I, I, I'm curious, since you talked about loving to read, have you read Warren Zane's book, Deliver Me From Nowhere, The Making of Springsteen's Nebraska? I have not. I have not. Worth it? Good read? Uh, yeah. It, it, he, he, the premise is, when it, it reads like a mystery novel, Jimmy. He's okay. Bruce had put out the river. It was their first radio hit, Hungry Heart. And all of a sudden, right. they're successful. Like little Steven says, once we were on the radio, then we got the women. And right, then once right. the women were going to the show, then the guys wanted to go to the show. Right. And then you skip to two albums later, Born in the USA. Right. Bigger, biggest him, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Prince, the yep. big four in the 80s, right? Yeah. But between that, he does Nebraska. Yep. This quiet little album. Great album. Why? And that's the premise of the book. Why? Why did he need to make that step backwards? And I think you as a guy who's done creative work will appreciate the thought. And it does read like a mystery. What was he trying to do? What was right. he trying to work with? And there's it's interesting because I, I understand the idea of a creative person wanting to switch gears because there's an expectation when you have hits and when you have books people start to think that's all you can do right. right and the creative brain is always wants a challenge and a challenge nebraska is a challenge in a way that here, here after this big noise big production all of a sudden it's like a harmonica echoing and it's like an open plains sound and it's just it's the at its core it's this beautifully written again there's a melancholy in it that's so like yeah. it, deep and I I think he is a melancholy person. I think he is a person that is a kind of melancholy. It's a hopeful melancholy. I think I said that before. It's a hopeful melancholy. Yeah. It's also that he's very how would I say this? He's very present. Yeah. And he's been very vocal about his fights with depression. And which I think was when I read his autobiography, I was surprised how did not realize how often that was and how much he had fought that. And interesting that he talked about he was married to Julianne Phillips. Yeah. And they're sitting at a dinner and he's looking at her. 
if she knew me, she would not be married to me. And and he said, ultimately, the marriage didn't work because, and he, I, he said once in the film Western Stars, he said, there was a time in my life, if you loved me, I had to hurt you before you ended up leaving me, right. which I think is pretty, as you talk about, that's a lot of self-awareness. Yes. And it's also that melancholy, right? I've yeah. got to, yeah. Yeah, it's also, it's funny because in our head, it's a different playground than what we project. Yes. And we, I think when people that are a little depressed or a little melancholy, have melancholy, they, they don't want to worry everybody so right. much too. But a lot of that protecting and punching outward and not, and trying to make everything okay for everybody has a very dark side and a very heavy weight. Yeah. And it what it does is it it pulls you away from who you really are. That's why he says, if she only knew how I was inside, she wouldn't even like me. Now that may not be true. It's just the way he was processing what he was feeling. And so that is part of it because, and again, that's what makes him such a great writer is because like I said, he's very present. He's very in touch with what he's feeling. But a lot of his songs say, I, I'm doing this, but I'm feeling that. Yes. Right? There's a lot of that. I'm doing this, but I'm feeling that, which is yeah. part of the, I'm protecting you, but I'm feeling vulnerable. Yeah. I'm going to save you, but I think I'm in danger too. But you're more important. You are what I have to take care of. And I think like Nebraska has a lot of that. I think Western Stars for me, is one of my favorite albums of his. And it's just simple. It's there's a uh, there's a line that goes, there goes my miracle. I, I'm yeah. forgetting what song it is. And I always think of my wife when he says that. There goes my miracle. Meaning yeah. this is somebody that loves me for who I am. What a miracle that is. That's yeah. the miracle. That's my miracle. And like I said. Again, it's all interpretation, right? Because you've read a lot about him, so you can see the other layers. Yeah. But I definitely, like, when I listen to his song, a Wayfarer or a Sundown uh, from that album, I'm like, I'm a Western guy. I love Western. So I, I read that. I look at that album cover. I'm like, oh, did he make this for me? Yes. A guy from New Jersey, by the way, right? Yes. New Jersey yeah. is writing about the West because the West is still the wild country to him. And a kid from Brooklyn wrote a hundred and something Jonah Hexes about the West in 1800s who's never been there because we have this fantasy of untamed. There's a world that's untamed. There's a world yes. that's attainable and untamed and, and it's romantic. So the whole notion's romantic. Yes. I, I, anyone, if you had Jonah Hex and Western stars on the connection, you guys have hit the try. You get you know, like the daily double. I loved Western stars. I, I love the film too. I, I loved, yeah, I was very good. jealous. I wanted to be in that barn so bad. That yeah. would have been great, but I'm a big Elmore Leonard fan. And, and I'm like, it felt like almost a collection of Elmore Leonard store, short stories. Nebraska feels like a collection of short stories. And I think Western stars, it feels like a collection of short stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they, I think his songs are stories. Yeah, I agree. So I think I, I it's funny, right? Cause we grew up in the system of where people put out albums. Yes. And now people just put out singles and, and let's be honest, Bruce can do that so easily. He can just release a yeah. single because 
it, he he does an album though because he ties up themes into he intertwines yeah. themes, and he has because that's the way he learned how to do. It. He grew up doing it, and that's the way he does it. But the reality of it is, you you go from like Wayfarer to maybe Alone or to a, another song on a, on the record, maybe yeah. Sundown or something like that. Yeah, and it is could be a completely different scenario. Right. A completely, some of the songs feel like it's a very wise and older man singing, it, and some yeah. of them are like this hopeful idiot running out there, just running through the street, going yeah. And I think that's the beauty of his of his poetry, because I say songwriting. Yeah, songwriting is like a cheaper way of saying beautiful musical poetry. Because I think yeah. songwriting, I think there's a lot of people that write songs that don't make any sense, or they just have yeah. three sentences. But he's actually he's a storyteller, and he's just as much a storyteller as I am. And he can tell it through music, which to me is magic. Yes, it's magic. I listen. I I don't know how he does it. I don't know how John Barry composes. A, a soundtrack and I and yeah. it's emotionally dra draining for me when I listen yeah. to it. Like it's some kind of magic that I admire. And and of course I never find people dismissing music and I'm just like you, it's just so mad. Even seeing an orchestra play in synchronicity is like yeah. a whole oh. other kind of magic. It is a kind of magic. Like I remember when Hello Sunshine came out talking about Western yeah. stars yeah. and where he says you can get a little you can get a little in love with the blues, right? Where you're a little too fond of the blues. Right. And that idea of you you want to be aware, and but the idea of fighting that is, I just think, yeah, I love the album. How well, about we know people, we know com people comfortable in discomfort. Yes. We know people that like, when you tell them something, hey man, I won the lottery, they go, yeah, but you're going to have to pay taxes and everybody's going to, instead of saying, oh my God, that's fantastic. They go, people are just going to track you down and knock on your door all day. That is the the first thing they see. I guess it's like a Woody Allen thing in a way. Yeah. The first thing they see is that, hey man, I got my first gig. They're probably paying you crap. Yeah. Instead what? of just congratulations, right? Okay. Yeah. I know how hard it is to get your first gig. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm excited for you. And then, yeah. The... Any thoughts on Letter to You? It's I, so I don't probably know them as clearly as you do. So okay. I got like three, three Letter to You was the, the last one he, they did, right? It came out in 2020 during. Oh, yeah. COVID. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Another great record. Let, look, it's has a guy done a bad album? Let's be honest. <laughs> Not too often. And I, I, and I do find, I do. Now, his last album was a little different from Western Stars, it took a different turn. And, and don't get me wrong, Western Stars is one of my favorites. It could have been a three-album set, and I would have been happy as a clan. Yeah. He keeps it interesting for himself. And you, I'm going to go back to you as a creative person for a minute, mm -hmm. because you mentioned you you want to entertain yourself and right. push the boundaries. And so I feel like Bruce has not set on his laurels he's no. continuing like a few people were like why did he do an album of soul covers because he wanted to and it's fun why not why if you don't like it yeah exactly <laughs> so my i have a friend you may have run into tom zoller at various conventions or something but he talks about that he knew he wanted to draw from the moment he picked up a crayon, he just always knew he was going to be, he wanted to be an artist. And 
and he's worked on my little pony books and some other stuff but you did you what led you from being artist to writer or was it just all the same to you you were a a storyteller whether you're no, doing it visually I, it, or i always wanted to i always wanted to tell stories i think like a lot of creative people i think they see stuff that's not so good yeah and now you and i do this right we watch a movie and go god i wish it ended that way that would have been so much better or right. i wish they didn't do this why did they do that in the middle of yeah. it right we're all editors. We're all editing sure. stuff because we want things to go the way we see it. I, I found a box of, of drawings I did when I was probably eight or 10, and I made all these crappy comics. Everything's spelled wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is te they're, they're terrible. But I saw the energy in there is still present with me. Yeah. And I realized, yeah, like I like movies because it's not only I enjoy them, but I like that they also take people out of their own heads for a while. Yeah. I love music because it's music is bigger than my life. Like music is grander and it makes me feel good to be able to look into another person's how they see something. Yeah. Maybe it's empathy, maybe it's just the beauty of of, of the word, or maybe it's just the sound. But I've always been fascinated with the idea of entertaining people, right? We all know a guy that if we all go to dinner, he has the greatest jokes. And you'd say, oh, tell that joke. And I've always been that guy that I'm thrown in a group of people. And I'm, if I'm the first guy up, that means everybody gets off the table. And if I tell jokes, and I'm very comfortable telling a joke, right? I have no... and But if I tell a good joke and then somebody else tells it, they're awkward or they don't. And I've always noticed that, okay, I got a little bit of that super weird power. I want to tell stories and I'm inspired by everything. I'm inspired by music, by my wife and I just took 42 days off and traveled through Europe, backpacked through Europe, right? I'm inspired from every town I go in and meet people. And then we buy a book on local history and we go to a museum and we see a guy's basement that was dug up and all this crazy stuff. And it's all inspiring. And I think Part of it is I want to share it with people. I want to share what I've seen, my point of view with people. And I think that's where I got more into writing than drawing. I can draw. I doodle all day long. I literally, I'm going to hold up while I was talking to you, I was drawing yeah. a little bit. I draw all day long. I, it's like a part of my brain. I keep drawing and it's just what I do. But writing is, I feel like I, I want to bring somebody along for a ride. I got an idea. Let me show you how cool yeah. this could be or how... This character maybe is original, or maybe it's not. And I read reviews of my stuff sometimes, and I laugh because if they don't like it, I go, "Yeah, that's a good point. That does suck." It's this is a skill set, and, and now I understand Bruce the same way. It's a skill set that you're getting better as you get older, but your tastes are different as you get older. Yeah. And at the same time, we think we have a skill that we're getting better at, so we don't want to stop doing it. And he's a guy that is not stop making music, but we know plenty of recording artists that just stop. Yeah. They have the two, three hits and that's it. And then you have the recording artists that they not only don't stop, but they figure the record, the, the record label doesn't want them. So they just put it on their website and they keep making music. Yeah. And Billy Joel just stopped. Yeah. And I'll never understand that. If I had that much skill, I, I can't relate to that at all. Madonna, no. God bless us, still going strong, still putting yeah. out albums. Springsteen's the same way, still putting out albums, still does a tour. Yeah. Um, so it's in the bone. I don't think I'm going to stop writing until I drop dead. 
right? And yeah, and I hope that go years and years. Is there something you've wanted to work on that you haven't got to work on yet? Because you talked about you name a mainstream comic character, you've probably done something with them. Is there something you've are you do you have a prose novel in you? Yeah, so I, I've been offered prose novels all the time. I, I get yeah. offered, hey, do you want to take and adapt this? I've never written one, so I feel like I have to do it myself before I do it to somebody else where they're going to pay sure. me. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I want to direct something, too, okay. that I wrote. I'd love to okay. do that. I almost got a chance to do one of the Jane show. I wrote one of the episodes. Yeah. I was supposed to direct one, and then it all fell apart because I wasn't Canadian. And that's a long story, but... I, I just think, again, it all is a different kind of storytelling. I love film because I can marry music and dialogue sure. and visuals. And when I write, I write, if you were in my head, if you had a VR that you said, I'm going to put yeah. this on and I'm going to see what Jimmy's brain looks like when he's writing, it is yeah. a film for me. I see the whole area. I see them talking. I see where the camera should be. I don't give those scripts where I'm an insane person like Alan Moore, where I have to tell you what the wood frame of the window in the background yeah. is it's ridiculous. But I do see it happening visually. And it's like I'm reporting on what I'm seeing okay. and less about writing and more like reporting. And I'm guessing with a musician, uh, with somebody like Bruce, let's say, he sits there with a guitar and hits and he's got an idea and he just stumbles on something, right? It just yeah. comes out. Because how do you, how do they do that magic? I'll never understand. And I have people ask me, where do you get all these ideas from? Where do they come? And I'm like, they're everywhere. Yeah. They're, the ideas are everywhere. But yeah. I don't know if music is everywhere. <laughs> like I, And I guess that's why I can't, because I can't make music. I can't understand how they do it. But I can sure as hell appreciate it and support it. Yeah. You know? I, I think back of that, Neil Gaiman, in one of his introductions to his collection of short stories, says the worst thing they can do is say, write anything, Neil. Like, yeah, but if you go, hey, we're doing a short story collections on angels, and we haven't, we don't have a cat episode story. Right. Like, oh, okay, now I know the story I want to tell. Yes, which yes. is it's, a it's, great it short is, story. It is. My wife and I play a game where we sit down with a piece of paper. Yeah, and I scribble three lines, just random scribble, and she has to make a full drawing out of it, and then she scribbles three lines hands me the paper and I have to, and we challenge each other. Sometimes the lines are into loops. Sometimes yeah. it's just a line like this and we draw and we make a drawing from it. And yeah. it's like the same thing Neil is saying. I'm giving yeah. you the start of something. Now make something out of this. And it's a game. It's a game we do because it's definitely a, a really fun brain game. Yeah. Not to, sounds... not to have to. And sometimes the drawings are ridiculous. Sometimes they're brilliant. I sit there and I'm going, where did you come up with? Like, how yeah. did you see that? And I think that's the creative mind. I, like I said, I, I I would probably, I wouldn't give my left arm because I need it for the guitar, but I'd yeah. probably give a pinky to learn how to play like a great guitar. Because even if I, if, even if my voice isn't great for singing, I'd still enjoy just singing yes. for myself. Yeah. Bruce, and you're like, yeah, he doesn't really need the rest of the band. Yeah. But, but boy, oh boy, when he orchestrates it sometimes, yeah. it's amazing. You know? I, I'm surprised you didn't find a way to Springsteen on Broadway. Because of the intimate. Yeah, it's funny because if you look at the years those things were happening, there was a lot happening in my life. Okay. I was like, went on a page and written. I've had a crazy, traveling, wild yeah. lifetime. And uh, it's worthy of a completely weird book, but it would be falling into the more of the David Lynch category and less, <laughs> less, 
or or maybe uh Jimmy Breslin uh, category uh, okay. and less about uh, a legitimate I, I one time it's funny somebody approached me and said would you like to do a book about your career and I'm like yeah uh, call me back in 20 years I I I, yeah. I haven't done anything yet what yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> that's awesome I end every podcast with the Mary question and what that is Jay Armstrong who is now retired but when he was an English teacher he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road and right. they would break it down. They would look at the themes. They would talk about the imagery. And then he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? Since you say you often break down song lyrics yes. as part of therapy, what's your answer? Does Mary get in the car, Jimmy? Mary gets in the car. And I'll tell you why. Please do. This is a man who's making such an argument pointing out how boring her life is without him. Yes. And even though she, even though he lays it out, he says, look, it's not always going to be a bed of roses, but you're laying on a bed of thorns right now. And you're going to have to follow me. And even though the unknown is a lot more exciting than the known, and I'm the person delivering the unknown for you. And that case alone, I think she has to give it a shot. Now, again, I'm putting myself into her Break, right where she's this is going to be my last shot at yeah being otherwise my life's going to go to this normal life whatever yeah and i gotta think that he's his selling of it his singing the snake trauma of a guy yeah who's selling him himself as a snake he's i'm not a great guy this isn't the best place but let me tell you, man, you, you're going to regret if you don't do it because we don't know what's happening, but we're going to have fun or we're going to take it to the max. And I think the the personality for me would be jump. Go for it. It's like saying, should I stay in tonight or should I go out with my friends? Well, if I go out with my friends, there's a lot of unexpected things that can happen. I don't know. But if I stay home, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to watch TV till I feel tired. Yeah. And then pass out. And I think so. I think she does get in it because I think there's one more adventure left in her. And he sees that in her and he's provoking it out. He's poking at it and going, he knows it's in her and he's poking at it and poking at it, trying to say the right things to get her to jump. And that's I, why I think she does get in the car. I love that answer. So, Jimmy, if someone wants to reach you and find out more about your work, what's the best way? Two or three ways. First one is paperfilms.com. Okay. And paperfilms, it's my website. When you go on it, there's a pop-up. And I send out a, like a mailer once a month. And I tell people where I am, what the new books are. I show artwork, photos. If I meet you, I put a photo on it. It's a fun mailer. It's only once, maybe twice a month total. So okay. it's not going to bombard your email. And paperfilms.com, it's also where I sell my comics and show my art. And all my characters are on there. Okay. And then if you want to chat with me on social media, and I do talk to people, if you ask me a question, you, that's, you know we this. Connected. Yeah, we connected yeah. via Twitter. I, I'm, a guy, I'm, a guy that, I'm a guy that does not ignore people. No. So if you ask me a question, I will answer it. And uh, so if you want to go on Twitter, it's under my name, Jay Palmiotti. It's easy to find. And same thing with Instagram. Now, Instagram is mostly me, my photos I take, and I throw them on. Okay. And it's a lot of fun and weirdness, and there's not a lot of opinions. It's just pretty much, hey, this is what I did today, or I'm at this convention, and look, this girl dresses Harley Quinn. She looks awesome. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just fun stuff. Once in a while, you'll notice on Twitter, I do put, like, albums I'm listening to, movies I'm yeah. watching, TV shows I'm enjoying. And then I fish. I ask people what's something I can watch tonight, and 
they have a lot of suggestions in it, and they're usually great ones. That's great. People with such a world book of knowledge, people ready to share that all the time with me, and that's great. That's absolutely um, great. But those are the three. Those are the three places, and then I like to say at a convention near you. I got a lot of them coming this year. If you want to come by, you tell me that uh, you listen to me and Jesse ramble on about Springsteen, and I'll shake your hand and we can talk some Springsteen. I will tell you, I have been lucky enough to go to a couple of panels and listen to you talk. And listeners, this is an example. This is what you're going to get. You go to a panel. It'll be absolutely great. So I didn't know you've been on my panels. You've been to one or two? I've been, yeah, been to one or two. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I just ramble. Me and Amanda just ramble. No, I love it. I love it. All right, yeah. listeners, go sign up for, go to the website, sign up for the mailer, and I will, we'll have Jimmy on again. Anytime you want to talk music, that'd be great. I'd love if, but I know it's a big venue, but boy, if you have a chance to see him during this next tour in 2024, I think you'll have fun. I, I would love to. I hope he comes down like the Tampa area or... yeah. Somewhere I can get to him because I would love to. There's only a couple of people I've never seen, and he's one of them that on my list. I would definitely do, especially... I, and really quick, I just, not too long ago, Glenn Danzig. He's a guy I met at San Diego Comic-Con. We were buying artwork, and he's like, yeah, my name's Glenn, and we got to be friends. And I was like, oh, he sings, too. He's a singer. Yeah. You know? And But he invited Amanda and I to his... He played in Tampa, sold-out show. Yeah. And we got to hang out behind the stage with him, and that was a blast for us. Because oh, to me, to me, it's their superheroes, these singers. So yeah. them even giving me the time of day and inviting me is like a, a giant gift. And, oh, absolutely. But if you come see me at a con, I'll treat you like you're a giant gift as well. Absolutely, you will. All right. <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much. Be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. I'm about to name some people who help me keep this podcast going. They are the wonderful members of my Patreon group. I appreciate each of them. You can learn how to be a patron by going to patreon.com, look for Set Lusting Bruce, and for as little as $5 a month, you can support the podcast and get access to unedited episodes. And as little a dollar a month, you get a handwritten thank you note from me and a shout out at least once a month thanking you in an episode. So, Sean, David and Jennifer, Jeff, Sylvan, Liz, Yetta, Steve, Coach Randy, Rob, Bella, John, Betsy, Levi, Liz, Stephen, and Steve, Dale, Terry, Chris, and Mary. All of you are amazing, and thank you for being part of this wonderful group. You know I love you. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. That listening, Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.